this is Stephanie Hooper. Thank you for tuning in to the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we attempt to gain a deeper understanding into the stuff that matters most. Today is episode 9X, and in it, I am going to be discussing the nature-nurture controversy and where I think the science points us today. Uh, that's kind of it's kind of a big deal, right? So Earlier this week, I had on Nat Barrett. Nat Barrett is a brilliant philosopher and researcher. Very smart, uses a lot of big words. I Let me know if you have any, have any questions about what any of them meant. Uh, but something that Nat does that I find really, really valuable is questions the way in which we think about how we function and how that applies to like contemporary dates. Now I know that that sounds debates, but I know that that sounds very broad, but what he essentially does is questions standard models of thinking about the brain and the organism, our genes, that sort of thing. He questions these and then all of a sudden we end up with these new pictures of our potential and new pictures of who we are and how we relate to each other and how to take advantage of different parts of our culture, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's brilliant. And I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate on it and tell you, apply it to the nature nurture debate specifically, tell you where I come down on it, where I think, where I think the answers are. So uh, quickly before jumping in, I have a super fun announcement to make. I have the first book giveaway drawing to announce. The winner, her name is Danielle Border. I am very excited. I will have already emailed Danielle. I am giving away a book off of my shelf. Well, I can't give away all of them. So most of them I will send from Amazon as copies of books that are on my shelf. Uh, but I'm giving away uh, some of my favorite books as a thank you to people who write reviews for the podcast, because it really, actually, it really, really means a lot to me. It's the only way that an endeavor like this stays afloat is by getting subscriptions and reviews. And so I have to ask for them and I don't want to, but that's how I managed to continue to do this sort of thing. Uh, hopefully for you, and hopefully that's something that you appreciate <laughs> appreciate or want me to be doing. So uh, that uh, that is really exciting. Congratulations, Danielle. You get to pick your book. If anybody else wants to enter, write a review, take a screenshot, email it to tmoeverything at gmail.com, and then you'll be perpetually entered into the giveaway. So that's really exciting. And all that I have in terms of announcements or chatter about my life the holidays are upon us, which is very exciting. I will be taking one day off for episode 11 around Christmas time. I will be holed up watching Christmas cartoons and then uh, back again at just a couple days later. So we will not barely skip a beat here. Now for today, I'll jump in, jump into what I want to talk about, nature and nurture. So Nat Barrett talks a lot about what we call interactional cognition. Now this is really important. I'll talk about where, what interactional cognition is bumping up against. So we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast. The standard model of the brain for decades, and it's kind of the dominant model in popular culture today, is called computationalism. And computationalism is the idea that the brain is basically a computer. And you develop with these specific programs, in the brain, like it's a computer with hardware and software, and then you encounter things in your environment and your computer processes them. 
Now, something that derives from this is called the modular theory of mind. And this is broadly used in a lot of theories that we use to come up with who we are, about who we are as a species, and specifically evolution and evolutionary psychology. So the modular theory is basically that the brain evolved to have modules, tons and tons of modules, like hundreds and thousands of modules. That's, that, that's a lot of modules. Uh, but basically the brain evolved to have all these different discrete parts that are ready to be used. They're like a program that can be activated on your computer should certain circumstances arise. So for example, there's a scholar, her name is Greet van der Massen. In 2005, she wrote a book called Who's Afraid of Charles Darwin? And in it, she talks about all these different evolutionary psychology theories to try to explain sex differences, to try to explain differences between men and women. It's a nice book. I, there's a chapter on it in my dissertation uh, for reasons that I find it problematic that I am talking about now, uh, but, it, but it is a nice and interesting book. So van der Massen, for example, will say that a specific module will be triggered upon happening, happening upon certain things in the environment. One example of something that could happen according to the modular theory of mind and evolutionary psychologists by mixing the two or cognitive science of religion, which is basically looking back at evolution, evolutionary sources of religion and history instead of just psychology. So kind of very uh, somewhat similar fields. So let's say we know universally, and this is kind of a fact, and maybe some people have a problem with it, but it's just kind of a fact that across cultures, men tend to prefer, heterosexual men tend to prefer younger women. Now there are, are of course, cultural factors at play in this. I do not argue with that. What the modular theory of mind would say that there is a module in the brain that specifically corresponds to this preference, this tendency to have this preference. Of course, it's not everybody has it, but there is a tendency. Now, that's what the modular theory of mind would say. Now, also, something less well-established and much more contentious than men preferring, older men preferring younger women is younger men, or is younger women preferring older men. Now, we do see also across cultures that women tend to end up with slightly older men and ones that will aspire to ones of greater, say, status and age. Now, are, do women have a module, a specific module that says you they have a preference for older men? This is an argument that you can make if you use the modular theory of mind that derives from computationalism. You can say, you can take any idea that you have about who we are and where we come from and why we are the way we are. You can take any idea that you have and slot it into one of these modules and say, oh, we were programmed this way. Now, of course, evolutionary psychologists nowadays are really careful about the ways in which they do or do not do this. But there remains a very live question of how possible it is to remove ourselves from our cultural contexts and refrain from making these kinds of statements? A, that's a big, big question, right? So the sciences, evolutionary psychology and other sciences that we're trying to figure out 
origins of our human behavior, right? Because we study animals all the time and we find evolutionary reasons for why they behave a particular way. So shouldn't the same thing apply to humans? Yes, theoretically, but we are culturally complicated. And so as the field of evolutionary psychology was emerging, people were looking at phenomena in our culture and attempting to explain them with evolutionary modules. And we ended up with all of these explanations of things that we now know are deeply cultural phenomena, like not caused by genes. But we were using modules to describe them because we simply thought that we could. Came up with an idea for why something might have existed and, and, and applied it to history. So this idea about younger women and older men is one of them. Uh, you could also say um, women, for example, it was hypothesized that women are naturally more loyal and men, you know, women are naturally more domestic, men are naturally more aggressive, you know, men are naturally better spatial thinkers and women are not. Now this is a hugely contentious issue and it's one that comes up in Vandermassen's book. And she does propose that there are evolutionary modules that make men better spatial thinkers because in evolutionary history, they were technically hunters. Now this is, this is very complicated, but you can do this if you have a modular theory of mind. It's very easy to make this happen scientifically. You just say, oh, there's a module there, it works. Now, what if the modular theory of mind is not correct? Interactional theories of cognition have been gaining ground for the last couple of decades. And what they basically say is that we cannot, it is physically impossible for us to be a hardwired computer in which we develop in a specific way, right? What we actually do is evolve in tandem with our environments. And now regularities that we see across cultures and across the world happen because there are structural regularities in the environment, right? So, Humans, we tend to have a much less, I believe, according to interactional theories, there aren't modules, these 100,000 modules in the brain that can do X, Y, and Z things or that are activated upon encountering certain stimuli. What we actually have are much more loose programs, so to speak, much more loose developmental plans. And these plans themselves, the modules, quote unquote, the, themselves, the plans themselves, can change based on the stimuli that we encounter. And then we change our environments and then our, because we're cultural creatures, we create our own environments, we change them, and then our bodies respond to those. And this actually has very fascinating implications for the potential for who we can become as a species and as individuals. Because if our brains respond to our environments, in, in very interesting and plastic, which is changeable ways, then we might be able to construct environments in which we become very different and hypothetically much better version of, versions of ourselves. I'm deeply interested in this question because we, we need change, right? The world needs to change, we need to be better or everything is going to fall apart. There are billions and billions of humans on the world and we need to do everything we can to take care of ourselves and one another. So these are, this is the perspective of interactional cognition and it does do away with, it has no need of the modular hypothesis. And then when we apply it 
to our hypotheses about how we are the way we are, say sexual preferences between men and women, say, for example, is, is there a genetic module that says men prefer porn and women prefer reading erotic literature about stories like and stuff? Because people hypothesize there's tons of literature on these questions. When you use an interactional theory of mind, you create a lot more space for culture and environment to determine who we are. And that isn't to say that we don't have genetic tendencies in behavior and experience Absolutely, we do. There were very universal patterns of human behavior and types of emotions that we can experience and that sort of thing. But culture is deeply relevant. So let's take again the example of women having a preference for older men. Could it not also be the case that all humans have a desire for stability and therefore in the cultural circumstances in which we find ourselves, women have historically been interested in older men. This is totally possible. There's tons of theories about women needing stability and having preferences for caregivers and all that sort of stuff. And that's absolutely legitimate. But when you open up our theorizing about humans to much more cultural circumstances, you maintain an evolutionary position while still allowing for the deeply important and impactful influences of our environments on us. Now, just for an example of how deeply environmentally embedded we are, consider the Stanford prison experiment. Now, I know lots of people have heard of this, but for those of you who haven't, the Stanford prison experiment, which you can't do anymore, it's against our codes of ethics, uh, researchers put students in university affiliated people in a prison-like situation. Some people were prisoners and some people were guards and just wanted to see what would happen. And they dressed in, in the clothing and, and walked around in the, in the cells and did behave like they were in a prison. And the study had to, was stopped after a very short period of time because everybody fell into the roles and be, lost their sense of selves. The guards were beating the prisoners. The prisoners were losing their identity. It was deeply traumatic, and it was only after days or hours that people's behavior began to change. We are incredibly environmentally dependent, and whether or not there are modules for this is, it's an interesting question, but my thought is probably no. I would argue that our brains are much more plastic, and so even if we maintain kind of a modular theory of mind, we need to be thinking more flexibly about, about what those things look like. And so this has really interesting implications for two things that I've already talked about. One is our thinking about nature and nurture, right? So genes, yes, genes are important, and I know I haven't talked about them much, but our inherited tendencies are very important. But nurture is also very important, and nobody will deny that both are relevant, but when we discard modular theories of the mind, we open up even more space for culture and environmental circumstances to take a role in who we are and how we behave. So that's, that's a massive change and really important. And why I come down on the side of, yes, nature and nurture are deeply intertwined, but we need to understand that we have over-prioritized 
this very simplistic view of who we are in our evolutionary history, generally speaking, and to fold more nurture into that. And then the other thing is that is deeply relevant is the potential that we have as a species, which I mentioned. If we are deeply environmentally conditioned and if we are deeply plastic, then we, A, it's, it's, it's scary if we fall into negative circumstances, but B, it gives us very great reason to hope if we manage to figure out what kinds of circumstances make us the absolute best versions of ourselves. The interactional theory of mind opens up a lot of space for us to do that and provides, I think, a lot more hope for us as a species to, to be able to come better, to become better. So that's why I wanted to talk about this today. In terms of nature and nurture, like I said, they're definitely intertwined. There's no such thing as nature, as genes exclusive of environmental context. On a cellular level, that's just not true. DNA is constantly in contact with other molecular influences, chemical influences on it, and these chemical influences come from the outside as well. So it's literally impossible for us to say that genes or our brains at all are removed from the environment and culture. And it's literally impossible to say that our nurture, that our culture could have come from anything other than a biological basis. It does in fact spring from our genes. And so they're deeply interactive, deeply intertwined and deeply relevant for we are as a species. It just turns out that our theories of cognition and many other things as well, but it turns out that our theories of cognition can align with that picture better and provide a interesting, I think, way of thinking about who we are and loosen us up so that we don't, we stop focusing so much on our genes for explaining behavior and our hormones and our various health X, Y, and Z things. And instead think a lot more deeply about the social and cultural influences on who we are, on our mentality, on our psychology, all that sort of stuff. So hopefully, I talked a lot about big themes today, not a lot about personal relevance to you, but hopefully it was interesting. And also these ideas can apply to you depending on how you think about yourself. And when you do reading and encounter popular science literature and this stuff, always be aware of this dialogue that's happening and ask questions about it and think deeply and choose to choose to embrace both sides of of the debate, but also make sure that you're paying really, really close attention to culture, to power, to, you know, all of the things, to history, to the things that have happened to you and to our, to our societies, because these things are deeply, deeply relevant to who we are, of course. Anyway, that's an elaboration and a little bit more of a practical, somewhat practical uh, take on the talk that I had with Nat Barrett earlier this week, which was brilliant. Um, again, thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions, I know that this stuff is a bit of a doozy. Please do email me or let me know on the Insta or the Facebook. I'm just Stephanie Ruper there. And uh, next week, episode 10, we will come down to more human lived experience. I will be having on a guest who will talk a lot about spirituality and the differences between growing up in an Eastern home and living in a Western environment, which is, which is really fascinating and she's brilliant. So I do really 
really advise that you tune in. Uh, thank you for listening. Congratulations again, Danielle. Uh, I will take, uh, I will talk with you next week. In the meantime, take care.